Hey, this podcast is brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Mississippi Land Bank. Visit them online at mslandbank.com. They understand the lay of the land, whether it's building a dream home or farmland or hunting land or anything like that. That's where you want to go. Our friends over there at Mississippi Land Bank. And also, the podcast is brought to you by Jubilations Cheesecake in West Point. And just a reminder, I told you about a lot of things with Jubilations, but you can find them in North Mississippi Kroger stores, and including throughout the Golden Triangle. And my man, Brett Hudson, discovered that recently. You're walking into Kroger and just... There they are, right there in the freezer section. So, speaking of Mr. Hudson, are you, Brett, still uh, recovering from uh, the shock and the horror of the unspeakable things you saw in the first inning of the midweek game against Memphis? Uh, honestly, I'm used to unspeakable things <laughs> out of out of Mississippi State baseball. Nothing, nothing can harm me anymore. <laughs> they can't, they can't break me. They've they've tortured me enough. I'm I'm prepared yeah. for anything and everything they can they can throw my way. I, I need to make T-shirts saying I survived June of 2018. <laughs> I need to yeah. make like a maroon T-shirt with white lettering. I survived June of 2018 and give it to every coach, player, support staff, media member, um, and probably player family member. Yeah. Um, that was like truly invested in, in every single game of, of that run. I probably need to make that, that t-shirt <laughs> and, and do some, do some charity. I, I do have, I do have this though. And, and frankly, we have a, a lot to discuss after yeah. those unspeakable yeah. things in the Wednesday night midweek game. But before we get to that, did you know that I am the world's leading Elijah McNamee expert? No, I didn't know that. How, how did well, you become I'll, such? Yeah, I'll, I'll let you come to terms with that as i explain <laughs> why so in in full count uh last week posted on on monday by the way long overdue shout out to will stanford for coming up with that name back in week one but in that full count i compared 2017 to 2019 for mac to me in 2017 he was struggling real bad he went to texas a&m it's only an hour away from his hometown of cypress texas uh he got right he balled out in College Station and was off to a heck of a finish in 2017. And a, a somewhat similar thing happened in 2019. Now, the reason for those struggles are different, and the College Station peak wasn't as high in 2019 as it was in 2017. The injury is playing a, a big factor in all of this. But the point stands that he was better in College Station than he was in his previous run of ABs before that. And then in this midweek game, he goes two for five, three RBIs. Both of his hits are doubles. The second double was arguably the biggest hit of the game. It, it may well be a continuation of that trend. So I just kind of, in, in full count, I didn't outright predict it, but mm -hmm. I did kind of wonder aloud if we're seeing a similar kind of story arc yeah. out of Elijah McNamee when it comes to his season changing with a road trip to Texas A&M and maybe just maybe I'm not one to read too much into midweek performances for a multitude of reasons, but maybe just maybe a performance like this is proof in the pudding of the continued trend of Elijah McNamee using trips to college station, Texas to get right. You know, some guys have a knack for, you know, like, 
Mac has a knack for the big hit late in the year. So you, you know what I'm saying? Like, am I? He may just be a guy who every year is going to have that stretch in the middle of the year where, you know, you get a little cold, but you just need to have that one big hit. You see the ball off the bat, and then kind of like in basketball, you know, a shooter will go through a stretch. Then he sees the ball going to basket, and then he's good to go from there, right? You, you know what I'm saying? You know, that's certainly possible. I mean, 2017 pretty clearly went that way for him, as has been well outlined. 2019 could very well have the the same story arc for him. And I'm looking at 2018 right now to see if uh, to see if there's a stretch. Yeah, I mean, he was hitting. Let's see. When the calendar turned from April to May, he was hitting 250. Mm. And then he goes off and ends the season at 309. He hits that homer in Tallahassee that will be remembered in Mississippi State baseball history forever. He hits he has multiple he has multiple hits in three of his first six NCAA tournament games. He starts the NCAA tournament on a six game hit streak. Uh six, no, three, seven, seven game hit streak. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's that's a good observation. This this might just be what Elijah McNamee is. And I mean, clearly that's perfectly fine when you've got a lineup this deep, you can, you can survive having one guy uh, in a, in a tough stretch. Mississippi state has done it a couple of times in the past, just this season alone with both Rowdy Jordan and Mm -hmm. Tanner Allen. And when, when big hit Mac is back, it's, it's big for, for this team. And I, I think, I think the emotion he showed after that second double is what stood out to me. Now, Elijah is not a robot on on the baseball field. He, he plays the game with, with emotion and passion and energy that much is, is obvious to see uh, and pretty easy to see. But even after that double, like he, he slid in, he called time. The game was game was stopped. And he just kind of walking away from the bag to give, Coach Cheesebro, his his uh, ankle protector and all the other stuff he wears at the yeah. at the plate, and he just lets out this big scream. It just, I yeah. wonder if the fact that he's been dealing with this injury and the struggle that has coincided with that injury, I, I I wonder if that moment felt like he was letting loose. I wonder if for him, it felt like all of that was behind him and he could hit the way he wants to hit for the final however many weeks of this season Mississippi State gets to play once you get to the once you get to postseason play and we'll probably get the answer from him soon enough. But I, I just wonder if he feels like that was the moment where it's all in the past now, where he feels like he can return to what he usually is. Let's take a time out for a word from our sponsors. Back after this. Farming isn't exactly the simple life. It involves satellites and spreadsheets and high-tech machinery to succeed. You need equipment like spreaders and sprayers and combines and the financial tools as well. For more than 100 years, Mississippi Land Bank has provided the loans that equip agricultural businesses. We understand what it takes to make a farm work and we know the lay of the land in North Mississippi. And that's where I stand. Mississippi Land Bank, mslandbank.com. Thanks to Jubilation's Cheesecake and West Point for supporting this podcast. If you have a fundraiser coming up, you should consider 
cheesecakes from Jubilations. It's a rare combination of quality and flavor. You'll find selling Jubilations cheesecakes for your fundraiser to be profitable and Jubilations will customize and print your sales sheets for you. Quality, high profit for you, and ease. That's what it's all about. So check out jubilations.com and call Luann at 662-328-9210. That's 328-9210. Or stop by the coffee shop on Highway 45 in West Point and watch them being made. Every season is jubilation season. And, you know, the team's still sitting there undefeated in the midweek. Brett, how important is that when it's when it comes resume time? Like, there's all kinds of stuff, RPI being the most important thing, sure. You know, and home and away and and those kinds of things. But, you know, to look up and say a team at this point still undefeated in midweek games this year. I mean, how important is that? RPI, baby. Yeah. That's how that's how it's important. It's it's the RPI. It it keeps your RPI three four spots ahead of of where it should be, and that might not sound like a lot, but you got to remember we're talking national seed with this team. We're talking eight spots, so a margin of error of three or four spots can and will be significant uh, for somebody. I mean, there's going to be a nine seed and a ten seed and an eleven seed in this NCAA tournament. And actually, we should do this, Matt. When the uh, when the NCAA tournament uh, bracket comes out and the seeds are revealed, we should look at the 9, 10, and 11 seed, assuming that Mississippi State is a top eight. We should look at that 9, 10, and 11 seeds and look at their resumes and look at their schedule and see the things that Mississippi State did that those teams did not. Yeah. That was ultimately the difference. And State being a, a top eight national seed and – those teams right on the outside of that top eight not being that. And I bet midweek performance and non-conference schedule, not only strength but also performing within it, are, are going to be two uh, pretty significant dividing lines between between those teams that are top eight and those teams that are top 16. I, I won't be surprised if that's a – if that's a significant divider, I mean LSU's going through it right now. I mean that's yeah, yeah. that's a good ball club. We saw that in Starkville when when they came here and took two of three in the series, but they're not they're not going to host a regional because they can't win a midweek game. Uh, you know, isn't that the craziest thing? Aren't they the most Jekyll and Hyde team you've seen this year? Uh, uh, well, I mean they've got the right version of themselves at the right time. So credit credit due, but yes, I mean they take a tw- what was it twelve one. Yeah, to Louisiana Tech, twelve one L. And by the way, Louisiana Tech comes to Starkville on on Tuesday, so right. keep your keep your radar out on that one. Kind of a last minute schedule edition there. We mentioned that on the last episode, I think. But yeah, I mean the the midweek games they're going to cost LSU the opportunity to host a regional, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that's that's going to happen. Um, well, or and- or if it doesn't cost them the opportunity to host a regional. It will cost them several seed lines. Yeah, no doubt about that. You know, it's just crazy. I'm looking here. Um, of course, they they had the series win over Mississippi State and Texas A&M back-to-back. They lost a series to Missouri. They swept Kentucky. 
They had the series sweep at Texas. This is LSU we're talking about. But you're yeah. right. You know, you start looking in the midweek. They they lost and all these Louisiana teams they've lost to in the midweek. Okay, they lost to Northwestern State. They um, lost to McNeese. In these are midweek games. They lost to Southern University from Baton Rouge, seven to two. Lost to ULL Louisiana in the Wally Pontiff Junior Classic in Metairie, six to five. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, have the twelve to one loss to Louisiana Tech in the midweek. Isn't that isn't that crazy? So it's like they've it's lost wild. every midweek game that they have played against a Louisiana team other than beating Nichols back on March the 20th, 5-4. to four. <laughs> It's crazy. I, I did see a stat. Um, I'm going to see if I can find it quickly. And this, uh, I'll do two more things on, on this subject, then we'll bring it back to, to Mississippi State. But I, I saw a stat on Twitter. I'm going to try and find it really quickly. I think someone pointed out to um, – to one of our friends on the LSU beat that the most recent, yeah, here we go. So LSU's national runner-up team in 2017 had a six and five record against in-state schools. Hmm. Really? That team that that went to the national championship series had a six and five record against in-state schools. So that's that's insane. But yeah. to illustrate the point that this is going to cost LSU, the most recent uh, postseason projections d1 baseball has them as the 16th seed the final team hosting a regional their margin of error is slim to none by that projection baseball america does not have them hosting baseball america has them as the two seed somewhere if i could find it wait where are they Y'all have to have LSU in your in your projections, right? I'm not I'm not missing something. Am now, I? And you're talking about what baseball America? Is that what baseball you're America? Yeah, here they are. They're the two seed in Coral Gables in Miami yeah, as the fifth, as the fifteen. So, I mean, just going by those two projections, their their midweek performance is either putting them right on the the cliff of hosting or just being pushed off of that cliff and not. Hosting uh, midweek midweek baseball is pretty much the only reason why that's happening to LSU right now, and, uh, and Mississippi State has the exact opposite problem. So, yeah. so all the credit in the world uh, goes to them in, in that regard. Before we dive into Ole Miss, um, Gus Brand on on Twitter wanted me wanted a full breakdown of Rowdy's numbers since the slump. Um, so, a quick refresher: Rowdy Jordan woke up on March twentieth with a one fifty one batting average having gone hitless in his last 17 at-bats and hitless in all eight at-bats against SEC competition. Now, normally I wouldn't include midweek stats in terms of slump busting, but but this did start with two hits against the Sanford team that both D1 Baseball and Baseball America have projected to win the SOCON and get to the NCAA tournament. And plus, they were in the NCAA tournament last year. They were in the Tallahassee Regional with Mississippi State. So let's let's show some respect to Sanford and and start the numbers there, starting with that game. 37 for 104. That's a 355 batting average. He's slugging 557 in that time frame. And re- remember, he led last year's team in slugging at 518. Mm-hmm. He's slugging 557 since he busted his slump this season. How about this? Last year, he drew 21 walks in 57 games. This year, he's drawn 23 in 49. Um, he's, he went over three against Memphis last night. That broke a 10 game hitting streak. 
Uh, he still got hits in 10 of his last 12 SEC games, and he has hits. And he has at least one extra base hit in each of his last three SEC series. So there's the there's the full breakdown on on Rowdy Jordan. So I'll, I'll leave it up to you, Matt. You can either add to that Rowdy Jordan thing, or I might have a hot take for you. <laughs> well, I mean, far be it for me to flap my gums just going over stats and you know, mild thoughts when you have a hot take. I'd much rather hear your hot take. I'm sure everybody okay. else would too. Okay, so so there you go, Gus. Glad to <laughs> glad to answer your question. If you ever have questions for us for for dogpile or things you want us to look up, by the way, just let us know. Hit me on Twitter at Brett underscore Hudson. That's the that's the easiest way to do it. And I got one wanting me to compare Ethan Small to the junior seasons of a few other Mississippi State pitching greats. Oh, cool. uh, I can't remember who sent that to me, but I'm I'm sure they they listen to every episode, and I will get around to that. I, I promise. Uh, just give me just give me one more week, and I'll I'll do it. It's actually supposed to be raining a lot in in Oxford this weekend, so maybe I'll do all that research during a rain delay. Um, so I have a hot take, and it's regarding what something Chris Lamonis said after last night's game. So Keegan James got the start. In that midweek game against Memphis, it did not go well. He did not record an out. Uh, after Brandon Smith came in and allowed some inherited base runners to score, he was credited with six runs allowed, all six of them earned, two hits, four walks. Again, did not record, not only through 26 pitches. Chris Lamonis said after the game that it was a setback in terms of finding a fourth starter, but they know that they're not going to completely give up on Keegan James yet because they know what this program means to him, and they know that that is atypical of, of what Keegan James has, has been. I notice that he's not a super popular figure among the fan base right now, that he's, he's been better than that would seem to suggest, but that's, that's a different point. That's neither here nor there. My hot take is I'm not 100% sure that a fourth starter – matters that much anymore and let me let me explain my my rationale before you you tell me how hot of a take that is and how bad of a take that is you only have one midweek game left Mm -hmm. not that big a deal uh the sec tournament when you've got a team like mississippi states who is pretty close to clinching a a top eight national seed and in my opinion the sec tournament doesn't really matter all that much so even if you do uh, throw a, a less than optimal starter and, and one or two games in the SEC tournament. Not sure that it really plays that big of a factor in what you're trying to accomplish in, in the grand scheme. In theory, you can win a regional in three games, uh, so you won't need a four-star. And if you absolutely have to play a fourth game in a regional, this bullpen is so deep, you can probably bullpen together a game, especially with the way yeah. Ethan Small, JT Ginn, and Peyton Plumley have been pitching recently, taking a bunch of innings and, and doing them in a quality way. And plus Jared Liebelt, Cole Gordon, uh, even Brandon Smith and Jack Egan, all of those guys can take multiple innings out of the bullpen and give you more bullpen arms to bullpen a fourth game if you potentially need to in a regional. regional obviously only three games needed to win a super regional. And once you get to Omaha, you only really play every other day in Omaha up until that championship series. So the it's not as taxing on starting pitching as one would believe based on just the basics of a schedule 
in Omaha. So all of that, I, I'm just kind of wondering, maybe this was a setback in terms of State trying to find a fourth starter, yeah. but it, we're recording this on the morning of May 9th. I'm not sure that a fourth starter is a make-or-break proposition for Mississippi State. Well, I, I, I'm not either. I'm not sure it's make-or-break. You know, obviously, you know, if we look at it just at the very bare bones of the evaluation of the whole thing, Brett, okay, obviously there will come a time when somebody other than your one, two, and three, small, gin, and Plumley, somebody other than those three are going to have to start a game at some point. Okay. Yeah. It, it's last year it was JP France. Okay, so yeah, it was France. And those are situations where again, when you've seen it in the past, last year with France, you you got some really good stuff out of him, but you don't go into that expecting that fourth guy <clears throat> that we're calling the fourth guy. You don't go into it expecting him. Nobody expects him to go out there and throw seven innings and a hundred pitches. Yes. I mean, that that's not part of the deal. I mean, keep in mind that the Ross Mitchell, um, you know, Hunter Renfro team that went so deep in the College World Series back in 13 to play UCLA for a national championship. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had Kendall Graveman going out there as their number one. Um. And then they pieced everything together after that. <laughs> I mean, keep in mind, that was a team that the third starter on Sundays throughout the year, their plan was to get three innings out of their third starter, not their fourth, <laughs> their third, right? It was, yeah. um, oh gosh, this is terrible that I'm drawing a blank on his name. Um, the guy who's a coach now, Trevor Fitz. Trevor yeah. Trevor Fitz in that, on that 13 team, his deal was he'd go out and start the third game of a series. He was the third starter, and his deal was to get three innings and then get to the bullpen. And and so and that was a team that played for a national championship. So in the grand scheme, that's the way that I look at it as well, Brett. I, I mean, do they want to have a third starter? I mean, a fourth starter. Uh, and it to be Keegan James can go out there and light people up for six innings. Sure, that'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know that it's realistic on any team, frankly. And and with this bullpen, when you get in that situation, you're going to dial in this just for sure pinpoint game plan for that opponent for Keegan James to go out there and throw those three innings and get you into your bullpen. And I'm not, I'm not at all suggesting that State didn't really scout and have it dialed in for Memphis. That's not what I'm saying. But if State is playing in a postseason situation and the way the schedule has fallen, now you got to start that fourth guy, it's going to be a whole different emphasis on dialing in the scouting report on that opponent's hitters in a regional or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in Omaha than it was against Memphis in a midweek. I just really believe that. That's that's fair, and I, I guess I could I could wrap up my point by putting it this way. Let's let's say you get to a regional, right? Where right. where say a fourth game is required, and you have to have that fourth guy pitch in a four consecutive day kind of deal. 
the way the starting pitching has been going right now, with Ethan Small and JT Ginn and Peyton Plumley taking bulks of innings, you can get through three games and really only burn maybe two bullpen arms yeah. for for a potential fourth game, the, the way they've been going right now. And I, I'm just picking names out of a hat, and mostly because they, they like using these guys the most. Let's say the two guys you burn for that fourth and final game are Jerry Lee Bell and Tristan Barlow. Right. Let's let's say those are the two guys. I mean, they're they're the guys with almost the most bullpen. And he's Cole Gordon has a little more. But let's say those are the two guys you you burn. You still have Riley Self, Jack Egan, Brandon Smith, Colby White, Cole Gordon. You still have five guys right there. Say half of those guys get you two innings each. So that's six innings right there. And then you can go to the final two guys to get you almost all the way home. And, and say you get a random maybe two outs out of Tyler Spring or a random inning out of Bryce Brock or Eric Sarantola, who Chris Lamona said we might see again somewhat soon. Eric Sarantola hasn't pitched since April 3rd. Um, he'll be available again sometime soon, at least as according to Chris Lamona. So you have so many bullpen arms that – and it comes with a caveat. As long as starting pitching stays the way it is right now, you don't need a four starter because your bullpen is is so deep. Now, if starting pitching deteriorates, then then we'll have to have a different conversation. But uh, what what are you seeing in starting pitching right now that makes you think this is deteriorating anytime soon? Yeah, no, I I don't see it that way. I mean, that's I like everything I see, you know, um, and I just don't I don't look out there even at and I, and here's the thing. Okay, so we're recording this podcast, and I'm going to have Coach Lamonis on the radio show coming up in about uh, an hour and a half from right now. And we're going to talk about that, the whole fourth starter thing. But, again, you know, the way I see it is, is you know, small, again, plumly, bullpen. You know, you're three deep starting pitching that – Everything you've seen for the last two months leads you to believe that you have as much or more starting pitching depth as anybody else in the country, right? And people will go, well, look at stats, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. Yeah, well, you made, an, you made short work of Georgia. And I know you didn't face <laughs> Emerson Hancock, but, but one pitcher doesn't make a weekend either, you know? So um, I just – we we kind of have a theme going on this podcast, I think, Brett, and that is we're doing it again. And that is throughout the year, there's been you know minor little pitching things, a, a little freak out here and a little freak out there, and then you and I kind of get on the podcast the next day and 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 put out the fire. And I would just like to say <laughs> it's not that we're intentionally trying to put out fires; it's just I just th- I just see a team that's that is so good that we're having to search for things to be worried about. Does that make sense? That's that's a great way of, of putting it. And look, if I need to if I need to walk around do you know we'll feel with a fire extinguisher in, <laughs> in one of my hands, I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. <laughs> I can I can live up to that duty if if I absolutely have to. Shall we get to Ole Miss? Let's do it. So it's a it's a weekend series, or it's supposed to be a weekend series. As I said, rain is, is very much in the forecast. So keep your, uh, keep your eyes on, on the radar. Yeah. 
this weekend, but it's currently scheduled. Uh, I don't know why I'm doing this. This is going to change, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. All right. Currently scheduled Friday, 6.30, Saturday, 6 o'clock, both games on SEC Network Plus, the Sunday game at noon on ESPN2. That's how it's currently scheduled. Do with that information what you will. Um, Ole Miss, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on this because of your radio show, you kind of cover both uh, baseball teams, so you've kind of been along for the ride with Ole Miss to a certain degree, but Ole Miss has been a total roller coaster almost the only predictable thing that they've done in sec play is beat alabama to start after that they lose a series to missouri then they win a series at arkansas they sweep florida and score double digit runs in all three games so it looks like they're on the way up right then they lose a series to kentucky who's currently tied for 12th in the SEC, and that's two of Kentucky's six SEC wins Mm -hmm. right there against Ole Miss. Then they lose a series to Auburn, who's 500 in SEC play. They don't score more than five runs in any game of that series. Then they lose the Governor's Cup game. So this is is a serious valley. Things are looking bad in Oxford. And then they make a total mess of the SEC West race by sweeping (laughs) Texas A&M. And then they take a series – with LSU uh, last week in an absolutely wild Sunday game mm-hmm. in that series, 19 to 15 in 10 innings, I believe. Uh, but this this Ole Miss thing in SEC play, it has been a roller coaster to end all roller coasters. And it's currently at an apex. We just don't know how long that apex is going to last. And for Mississippi State's purposes, we don't know if that apex is going to last through this weekend or if it ends this weekend. We, we You just never know with yeah. this group. No, you don't. I mean, that's right. It is a team. They went to Arkansas to Fayetteville in the third week of the SEC season and took two out of three back into that series. Same thing they did on the road at LSU. Two of the toughest places to play on the road in the SEC. Both of them, Ole Miss went up there and lost the first game and then won the series by back-ending it. You know, and then you couple that against a home series loss to Kentucky. Now, Kentucky back-ended them in Oxford, but Rain moved them to a doubleheader of seven-inning games, okay? And they lost both seven-inning games, four to one and four to two. Uh, You're right. Then the two losses at Auburn. So, you know, there's part of this – I have asked this question some this year of some of my guests on the radio show, Brett, about Ole Miss, and I'll say, is this a team that looks like they kind of play up and down according to their competition? But I, I, you can't look at the results and necessarily like draw that conclusion, you know, because um, it's just it's just a roller coaster. I don't know how you put your your finger on it, other than. This is one basic observation. Tell me what you think about this. It is a team that is if, – if they make a postseason run, it will be because their offense gets hot at the right time because they are good offensively. They yeah, are, they're, they're definitely well, – go I, ahead. I was just going to say they are average – not that they're bad. You know, if you're average in the SEC, you're pretty doggone good compared to the rest of the country. But I'm just saying they're average on the mound. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. They're definitely better offensively than they are <clears throat> defensively. Excuse me. A couple notes on individuals in that regard. Ryan Olenek 
Uh, you may remember he was back for the Governor's Cup. I was, I guess he wouldn't be based on some reporting on the Oxford out of Oxford at that point in time. I was clearly wrong. But even since then, he hasn't been up to par. He's starting with that Governor's Cup game. He's been hitting 277 since then, which you can take or leave, but Ole Miss might rather leave it considering Ryan Olenek was hitting 369 before mm. the injury. So that that seems important, but it's it's still Gray Kessinger's team. He's hitting 355. He leads the team in doubles and is one off the team lead in walks. He's actually got the same number of walks as Elijah McNamee, 32, which should impress you. Uh, Cole Zabowski and Thomas Dillard have 10 dingers this year. Tyler Keenan has 11. So you, you kind of mentioned it. They're, they're uh, average to above average in the SEC in hitting, but they're average to below average in the SEC in pitching. And I've got some uh, some notes on the starting rotation pitching wise, we can get to okay. momentarily, but that's, that's, I think that's a fair observation on Ole Miss that if they are to beat Mississippi state this weekend, but also be a factor in the, uh, in the postseason, like that D one baseball projection, uh, that had the Starkville regional and the Oxford regional <laughs> matched up with, with one another, that would be an absolute blast. If those two teams met in a super regional, yeah, uh, in Starkville, that'd be a heck of a lot of fun. But if if any of that is to materialize, they're most likely going to have to do it by hitting, and they're going up against one of the better pitching staffs in the country this weekend. That's right. You know, the whole pitching travels is kind of like you know football defense travels. They always say defense and running game. I think pitching travels. Um, yeah, you, you know, Gray Kessinger, their shortstop. He's quietly, it's weird to say it, you say quietly, but, you know, in other fan bases around the league, they may not really know this, but he he really has been one of the best players in the SEC all year long in terms of, you know, the year he's having at the plate paired with, he might be the best defensive shortstop uh, in the SEC. He's really good. And... um. You know, Dillard hits for power, but they've got several guys who can hit for power in their lineup. Um, of course, y'all saw him there at the Governor's Cup. But see, again, you ask the other thing is this series, when you look at it historically, <clears throat> the rivalry between State and Ole Miss and baseball, at least over the last 25, 30 years, is, is it, it comes in waves for either team. There's momentum for a decade for one team, and then there's momentum for the other team for a decade. And right now, State's kind of on top of this thing. They've won the Governor's Cup a bunch of times here, really like five out of the last six, whatever it is. You know, uh, State's been winning this series a lot. Uh, they swept them last year, that kind of thing. State's kind of had the upper hand. And frankly, State is the more complete team. They are. When you look from pitching, you know, starting pitching to bullpen to the way they're hitting the baseball, State's the more complete team. Ole Miss yeah. probably the better defensive team in the infield, but um, it's I see with this series, Brett. What do you think about this? Do you agree? There is there's opportunity for both teams, and there's consequence for both teams in this series. Um, you know, the obvious opportunity for Mississippi State you win a road series against a pretty high RPI team, and you really solidify your case as a national seed. Mm-hmm. Whereas the consequence could be if you – you know, State doesn't have to win this series to do that. If they go and win one game up there 
it's like you hold serve, you don't get swept on the road, you come back, you handle South Carolina, you're a national seed. But the consequence would be getting swept. Getting swept up there would give you two road sweeps in the SEC, and who knows what that might do in terms of it may move you down to the bubble in terms of the national seed conversation, for all I know. Other things would have to play out. For Ole Miss, what I see is, you know, there's opportunity for them not only in terms of their resume, but with their fan base too, Brad. I I think the reality is that Ole Miss fan base right now, you know, they need to see their team beat State. You know, (laughs) now, and this is not at all – I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna jump on the kindergarten playground with, you know, any of their fans or even with their AD or anybody who says, you know, one team's more concerned about the state championship than you know the other. Nothing like that. What I'm saying is, I think with the way things have gone recently, state's got the new stadium. They've got the ranking. They've got the Omaha success. They've got the all-time hits leader. They state's got the pub, and when they played each other this year down in the governor's cup state wins at eight to one, you know, that I think that fan base going into the postseason, it would rev them up to see their team beat state. And the consequence for Ole Miss could be if they lose this series at home is your fan base isn't happy. You know, there's just like a, you know, you, it's another punch in the gut for them because that, you know, of the rivalry and, Brett, I mean, you look at their RPI, it could it could really hurt their chances of hosting a regional, right? I mean, they've got – if you were looking at it from Ole Miss's perspective, you're familiar with it. Would you say Ole Miss has to win this series to be able to host in the postseason? No, I think you, I think you put it perfectly when, when you said there's both opportunity and consequence for both teams in, in this series. I mean, I think I said on – your radio show last week that, or it might have been earlier this week, mm-hmm. that, that that I think if if State takes this series in Oxford or even just wins one, barring a pretty epic collapse in the final week of the season and in Hoover, yeah, they ought to be more or less guaranteed of of a top eight national seed of hosting that that super regional in Starkville if they were to if they were to get one winning the series in Oxford might pretty well do that considering they've got South Carolina in the final weekend of the regular season and they're significantly better than South Carolina. Then they'll be in a pretty advantageous seed position in Hoover. So maybe they get a win or two there and just boost their, uh, boost their position even more. So I I think there's a, a strong case to be made for bar for state clinching a top eight national seed with a series win in Oxford, yeah, barring a epic collapse of of some kind, like an an unforeseen collapse of some kind, and, and you mentioned it with Ole Miss to go back to that D one baseball projection. They're the thirteen seed uh, uh, among the top sixteen according to D one baseball right now. So, and, and the RPI numbers and and many other projections have them in a pretty similar. Uh, echelon. So a series win here 
yeah. could could boost you up a spot or two and give you that little bit of wiggle room for the final two weeks of the season, the final week of the regular season in the SEC tournament, that maybe if some things don't go your way, you can still host that regional. And losing this series, then you're in not in all that uncommon situation to what we were just talking about with LSU, where you're right on that 16-seed bubble line, and you really got to play well. There's a lot of pressure on you in the final two weeks of the season to live up to that standard and and earn the right to to host that regional. So there's definitely um, stakes and and consequences on on both sides of this. And uh, I have one more thing before I get to the Ole Miss pitching okay. stuff. While while I agree with you that I have no interest in getting onto the play the kindergarten playground as <laughs> you put it. Yeah. And in this rivalry, I am also I, I like to think of myself as a beacon of accountability, okay. of yeah. uh, transparency. Right. Yeah. yeah. So basically what, what I'm getting at is when you say something stupid, I'm going to let you know you say something <laughs> stupid. All right. And for a man who seems to. Uh, let's see, what's the word here for, for a man who seems to prioritize national championships, you're sure not winning any of them. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Funny how that works out. <laughs> starting pitching for for Ole Miss. Uh, the starting weekend, the last two weekends have been Will Etheridge, Doug Nikhazy, and Gunnar Hoagland. Will Etheridge, he's basically been Peyton Plumley. Plumley's last five starts have an ERA of 2.87. Etheridge has a season ERA of 2.80. In those same starts, Plumley has a whip of 1.046. Etheridge is at 1.18. So you can look at that two ways you can look at that and say lol Ole Miss is Friday starters basically as good as state Sunday starter but you can also look at that and realize that Peyton Plumley has been a bad man mm-hmm. of late you don't want none of that right and that's what Ole Miss has going on Friday night from a from a numbers perspective so uh, I'll let you decide your perspective on that one Doug Nikhazy has been at his best of late. His last two starts, he's gone 13 in the third, two earned runs allowed for an ERA of 1.37, only one walk allowed in those 13.1 innings, and a whip of 0.750. Um, so there's there's something to, to look at for the Ole Miss starting rotation. And my, my final bit on this series is I think this series is really going to capture – not only the regional attention, but the national attention. Mm-hmm. I think I really think that this is going to be one of the bigger series in the nation this weekend. Because it, it just if you look at the SEC, it's kind of an unfortunate weekend schedule-wise. You look at the teams that are leading the race. Vandy has Missouri. Uh, they're hosting Missouri. Not a big deal. Texas A&M can get back into the SEC West series. Uh, SEC West race. They have a series at Alabama. That's very winnable. Kentucky, South Carolina, Georgia, Auburn, Tennessee, Florida. But then there's this series, and then there's LSU, Arkansas. Uh, that's that's a big series for the SEC West race because Arkansas is 17 and 7, LSU is 14 and 10, and both of uh, both of the Mississippi teams fall at 15 and 9 in between those two teams. Um, so there's there's a lot of stakes in in those two series, but this this Mississippi State Ole Miss series. Uh, I don't think it's preposterous to think that it's going to be one of the bigger series. It's the biggest series in the SEC and one of the biggest series in the nation this weekend. Yeah, no doubt about it. A lot is made about Jake Mangum's record 
against Ole Miss in his career. You know, I see it, I hear it a lot. You know, people say, well, you know, Jake has something with you know the about it's just something about it, you know them or him beating Ole Miss, and then I always kind of roll my eyes because I'm like, look, it's a team game. You know, one guy never does anything. Jake can go out there and go four for four every game against them, but if other guys don't play well, they lose. You know, but but <laughs> why in the world? You know, side note, I don't know why I'm getting ready to bring up a point and I start, you know, refuting it before I even spit the stat out. I don't know if something's wrong with me on that. But <laughs> anyway, here's the stat. So the third game against Arkansas, we know that ended in a sweep. And Jake went 0 for 4 in that game. The next game on the schedule was the Governor's Cup against Ole Miss. And he went 1 for 3 in that game, drove in a run, scored a run. That started what is now an eight-game hit streak for him. Okay? Started what is now an eight-game hit streak for him. In those last eight games, going back to the Governor's Cup against Ole Miss, Jake is 16 for 28. That's a 571 average in those last eight games. And five of those eight games, he has multiple hits. So you might go, okay, so it started a hit streak for him, the hit and the run and the RBI against Ole Miss, and then he's on fire ever since then. Yes. The thing about that is, though, he went hitless in that third game against Arkansas. Try this stat on for size for Jake. 49 games into the season, you know how many times he's been hitless in a game? Uh, I could like really think this through and get a pretty decent answer, but I'm just going to guess off the cuff. I'm going to say four? Five. You're right oh, on it. Okay. You're right on it. 40, okay. 49 games this year, Jake's been hitless in five of them. It's just that's incredible. It is incredible, but you know, it, needless to say, the point that I'm making is, starting with the Governor's Cup that night against Ole Miss, he's been on fire ever since. Just on fire ever since then. Batting 571, 16 for his last 28, has scored in those eight games where he's got the eight game hit streak. Batting 571, five of the eight games, multiple hit games. He has scored, let's see, five, seven, eight, nine, eleven runs in those eight games. <laughs> so he's touched the plate eleven times, and um, you know, so and it all got started, at, you know, in the Governor's Cup, and and here he is, his last go round to play against Ole Miss in a state uniform, and it'll be up there in Oxford. I just to kind of wrap up my thoughts on it. Um, it's going to be hard to get three nine-inning games in this weekend, isn't it? Uh, very much so. Yeah, very much so. According to the <clears throat> according to the weather forecast, it's going to be quite difficult to do. Mm. Yeah, Brett, hats off to you, buddy. Another thank you, sir. Almost not quite an hour-long podcast, but almost, and I think every minute of it has been both rich and compelling. I will leave that up to the listener, but I, I doubt they disagree. <laughs> Adam boy. And I still have your new microphone. All right. Um, I just got to give it to you at some point. One of these days. One of these days. All right, Brett. Talk to you soon. All right. That's Brett Hudson. I'm Matt Wyatt. Thanks for tuning in to Dogpile. 
presented by Mississippi Land Bank and Jubilation's Cheesecake in West Point. See you.